Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 71. In this episode, I want to cover a scene that is like tangentially related to the Norwegian black metal scene, but is much more overlooked, although I still think it has a kind of kernel of what made the Norwegian black metal scene so interesting. And this is the Norwegian progressive metal scene that very much followed on from that early wave of Norwegian black metal, where a lot of those bands, if you think about them, they kind of got weird in their later career. Obviously, there's like the staples like Immortal that kind of continued along similar lines. There's the bands like Ulva who went off into uncharted progressive waters and even bands like Enslaved who just grew the progressiveness in their sound quite a great deal. Amazing one-offs from that scene like Vedbu and Zender with um, Written Waters really kind of reinventing the idea of what can be done in the realm of black metal. And this all sort of seemed to kick off around like 1995. There starts being like a real change in that scene. And then the scene I'm sort of covering today I think really kicks off around 97. I'm going to follow it through till like the early 2000s, like around 2007 with a few choice bands and albums I want to recommend. But yeah, it's really birthed out of some of the odd creativity that followed in later kind of and often quite controversial years of that Norwegian black metal scene. And we'll see a few characters from that. A couple of bands I won't actually be going into, but are very much... Uh, relevant to the scene and probably some of the more notable ones. Obviously, all the post their black metal trilogy at the start of their career, um, yeah, I think around 97, they they put out uh, themes from William Blake's A Marriage of Heaven and Hell, which just totally goes off into uncharted electronic waters. Uh, really interesting stuff, but hugely divisive. Then we have the bands like Arcturus, who even from their inception, were always kind of marrying very progressive ideas with their form of black metal, and in later albums would completely leave behind the black metal of their sound, and a band that are regularly referenced, but personally I've never been a massive fan of, um, In The Woods, who were always, I guess they were always more of a progressive band, um, but still, like, there feels like there was an influence from Black Metal Summer in there. A lot of what we're covering sits more in that vein. But I think it's this really interesting and somewhat overlooked scene, because it doesn't have the controversy of the early Black Metal scene, the kind of the madness and criminal activities. And, and also, as well, it's something where a lot of these bands lack what kind of a lot of bands in progressive metal blew up for this is a bit more raw and unpolished than your kind of dream theater end of prog this is a lot more experimental song structures rather than hyper technical complex time signature changes and really fancy musicianship although there's some interesting stuff in this i do think through this kind of playlist of bands will you'll start to see some of the elements that like would lead into like some of the European gent scene and so on but let's start off like with a band that I think really did an amazing job bridging that gap between the Norwegian black metal scene and the Norwegian progressive metal scene. The first band I'm covering today is Solifald with their 1997 debut The Linear Scaffold 
released on avant-garde music, which is a label that I continue to have a growing love for. Solifald are an interesting one. They're a two-piece uh, formed of Cornelius and Laze, uh, who both do vocal work. Cornelius taking the majority of the guitar and bass work, Laze playing... Uh, drums and keyboards and keyboards feature very prominently in this album and with its opener Yun Love it very much feels like a black metal album kind of and I don't mean this in a bad way but kind of in that like early Cradle of Filth thing it's it's very fast and blasty where like a lot of the um kind of hooks in it come from the keyboard and the vocals and the guitars go into this kind of just continuous intense like super fast noise the drums you know more often than not sitting at that kind of like blast beat or at least super fast double kick pace but then the the vocals are like like they do have that reminiscence of a like a Danny Filth scream where there is like kind of a high-pitched almost melody in it and they're at that like i believe it's cornelius doing the the vocals for this um for the screams that is uh he has a high like a really noticeable high pitch to them they're they're pretty intense but all the songs are sound fairly short so this one like, wraps up after being this kind of like intense but like kind of quite catchy um black metal track then we get philosophical revolt which really changes things up like it starts with like this beautiful lead guitar melody and then we get i believe laze's clean vocals come in and like this combination of this like beautiful clean singing beautiful melodic that then like interplays with black metal throughout like really has this feeling of like oh this is something a bit different like like solifald were even this early in their career really experimenting with like like changing up the norms of the genre like this this album is in no way a traditional uh black metal album and the band would continue to pretty much reinvent themselves up to today each one of their albums they try something new and more out there but they, even this first one has its strange ideas and just the the start of doing okay we're gonna do black metal that trades back and forth with this kind of like beautiful clean vocal heavy metal if if anything i'm sounding sounds like familiar with bands like borknagar um there's a good reason for that Laze went on to play keyboards for borknagar and where that band do the kind of like beautiful cleans of black metal it's far more with them it's far more melodic and expected with solifaud it's a bit more intense and jarring they're they they do a lot of changes very quickly. As I say, they don't play around with particularly long songs, so they'll they'll rapidly move through ideas. But what really to me makes an album like this stand out is those changes feel very natural. Uh, the album has a really nice sound to it as well. It's very keyboards front and heavy, but actually I like the way the keyboards are used in this. I think they have. A great sound to them and i think the way they sort of introduce melody over the more chaotic moments works really well the dual vocalist thing sounds fantastic as well um there's some really interesting stuff going on as well like lyrically this is one of those very dense sort of philosophical albums i believe in like his later career cornelius has gone on to write books of his own philosophy so there's there's a lot of clever stuff happening here which is I've read through the lyrics. It's it's above my station. I I don't quite understand what's going on, but I think to 
some of the more intelligent of you out there, this this might be one to like sit down with and, and get your head around. Also, the album throws in some real curveballs towards the end of track six, Countryside Bohemians, is just this like really mellow piece of mostly like gentle keyboard sounds and uh, clean tone guitar with this like spoken word piece over the top of it. And then track seven, Tequila Sunrises, is basically like a piano interlude with a small amount of vocals towards the end. One of my major gripes actually this album is that um, with this piano interlude, they had a really good way to set up the epic final track when the moon is on the wave. But for whatever reason, the interlude just stops and then when the moon is on the wave starts with another short like keyboard piece before all the guitars and stuff come in. But the two endings don't have any kind of musicality in common. There's no like notes that ring out into each other. It just feels like a really weird missed opportunity and just a, a weird jolt in my listening of an, an album that otherwise has like, a beautiful flow to it. Uh, interesting as well, like very much sort of bucking trends and that. The cover is totally alien for um, for what you'd expect from Norway in 1997. It's a painting by, I believe, a Norwegian artist called Odd Nerdrum, who actually gave the band permission to use it. And it's a very strange picture of these, these three young women on this kind of like balcony overlooking this kind of sunrise. Um, the... the the, the picture is called Return of the Sun. And interestingly, apparently, it's a, a source of great debate in the art community whether the sort of the the themes and message of the picture are are hopeful or bleak. Um, the characters in it uh, seem to be watching Sunrise, which many have said to be positive, but the, the tones of it are quite orangey and the three women seem to be possibly blind, so are witnessing something they can't actually see and can't actually get anything from. And so some some people have seen it to be more apocalyptic and others uh, others to be positive, which it might be something they were the band Solifald were playing with on this album. But it, it's you know a really interesting center point, and they're they're a band that would go on to do very strange artworks for a lot of their work. I'm not always a fan of their stuff, but. Um, there are bits of it I really enjoy. Uh, both the musicians in this will be involved in many other projects as well throughout their career, and we'll be getting to a few of them. But what was like astounding to me about this is the level of ability these two young musicians had. The fact that you know they're covering multiple disciplines. Like I guess guitar and vocals isn't so so out there, but as they as they uh, doing kind of keyboards clean vocals and drums like all to like a very technically gifted level is really impressive
so the next album i believe musically follows quite nicely on from this this is drawn with their one and only album a new world question mark so drawn most notably are a side project of past uh, in the woods member christopher sederberg uh, who does both lead vocals and i believe lead guitar for this and rounded out by a backing band of drums bass and guitar um and what they do is this really it's, it's odd because as i say i'm not the biggest in the woods fan but uh drawn really worked for me it was actually a recommendation i, I think over a year ago from a listener wade conrad and i finally found an episode i could fit this one in nicely so yeah thanks a lot for that wade but the this album really grabbed me because it's it's incredibly subtle in a lot of ways, despite it being similar to that, like, Solifal album I mentioned before, a kind of melding of some kind of black metal-y ideas with some more, like, proggy stuff. This is really subdued, but in a sort of beautiful way. It's, it's an album that really kind of, like, nicely builds an atmosphere throughout. It starts off with the, the opener Riverwell form, which builds up really gently and comes in with nice bits of lead guitar before getting heavy. And primarily the vocals early on are are like kind of, again, kind of subdued, but quite beautiful, clean singing um, before we later get like screams and so on. The album then sort of really expands out to show you like the full scope of all the ideas you get you're getting thrown here like a song like uh track two yours and mine goes through so many different things like there's all these different vocal ideas going on even in, let's say the first three minutes of its its runtime of you start off with this really kind of like throaty rumble like they're not quite screams or cleans they're like this strange kind of gravelly talking um which I find really reminiscent of uh, some of the vocals on Phasm's first album. Please let me know if any of you get that reference. Um, and then they move into this like quite heavy, like almost like death metal moment. And then by the middle of the song, we're into um, the more beautiful, clean vocal work. As I say, scattered throughout the album, there are great moments of um, of lead guitar. There's some really fantastically uh, written solos. Uh, but as I was saying, like the whole subtlety, it's it's kind of in everything. The production of it gives it this sort of sedate, dreamy feel. The the cover, I believe, is like a riverscape, but it has these like sort of sunset tones to it, and the band logo and the way like the album title's written on it, it's this is really subtle. And there's nothing that's like nothing about this will like jump out and grab you by the throat, but just taking your time to get into this album it, it shows it's got like loads of like beautiful hidden depths to it um you get moments later in the album like uh marigold that get really post-rocky for a lot of its early runtime before going into proper blast beats at the end but again much like solifal they're a band who really get how to transition so these things always seem quite natural. They never really break the atmosphere. There's a really interesting turn on track six, uh, A Scrape, where it starts off with these really well done female vocals um, that give the whole song of like a very 
folky atmosphere. And, and yeah, this late in the runtime, just throwing yet another genre at you. Um, the final track is a bit of an odd one. It's um, four minutes of like the first four minutes of it are like this kind of droney synth with, I believe, a uh, French horn over the top of it, which as silly as that sounds i i think actually really works and then the kind of like leads fall away from it and we just get this long synth outro for like the final 6 minutes of the the album which is i i i could have gone without it um but but overall like you know you've got an hour of amazing music for it something i forgot to mention is like i, I said like a lot about these like nice leads thrown and like some of the lead guitar work less like the solos but more the kind of like bits of lead melody really put me in mind of like morning rise era opeth but with like slightly less technical backing but it's definitely got that kind of that kind of atmosphere and feel to it which i think many ways is like why this this appealed to me so much it it's um yeah, it's an album that I'd say give it a couple of listens. It might take more than one to seep in because, as I say, it is it is subtle and kind of withdrawn, and a lot of the choices about it don't make it, you know, the most like aggressively, as I say, like grab you by the throat kind of thing. It, it doesn't have that element to it, but it is very beautifully constructed and the more I listen to it the more I think there's something absolutely incredible about these songs
So uh, the next band, I couldn't actually get hold of any music to play in time, but wanted to mention anyway. This is another short-lived one-album band. This is Spiral Architect uh, with their one and only album, A Skeptic's Universe from 2000. So unlike the name would suggest, this sounds absolutely nothing like a Sabbath song. This is some extreme technical flashy metal, like very much in contrast to what I was saying about uh, having dream theaterisms. This maybe has a bit of that. Um, most notably for this band, uh, the bass player and drummer would go on to be in um, Ishan's two early but very legendary albums, Angel and After, and the the bass work and drum work of them on this album is absolutely incredible. Lars K. Nordberg really kind of shreds up the place on the bass, um, and interesting, they're one of those bands where there is only one guitarist, uh, so the bass player has quite a lot of space, although... Uh, Steiner Gunderson, the the lead guitarist, is pretty incredible. Um, he he's gone on to be in ICS Vortex band and played live for Satyricon. I believe that yeah, the bass player also played on uh, Satyricon's Now Diabolical. So these guys are very tied into that scene, but musically with absolutely nothing in common in black metal. Realistically, this band to me most put me in mind of a band like Watchtower. There's these um, brilliant, like, over-the-top, high-pitched vocals and keyboards over everything provided by Ivan Hegeland, that's probably totally pronounced wrong, who has had little involvement with some of those bands. But um, for many, I think he will be the weak link for the band. Like, his vocal performance, I think, is very impressive, but I know that kind of very bombastic, like, high-pitched, almost power metal vocals, particularly for a band like Watchtower, was off-putting to a lot of listeners. Um, where, like, I think the, the kind of, the standout thing there is just, like, the ludicrous musicianship and, like, incredible playing around with, like, completely mad song structures. This is an immensely technical and gifted band, like really impressive sound. I've just realised I made a bit of an error with that one. They also do have a second guitarist on this album, although the mix is such the uh, the bass does a space to shine. The second guitarist is from another kind of short-lived Norwegian progressive project, Twisted Into Form, which I I need to check out at some point. But I've I've heard very positive things about. Hey, as I can't play a clip, I'll move on from this one. I think I forgot to mention earlier, with these uh, 10 albums I'm covering, I'm going chronologically. So that brings us up to 2002, with the debut album from the band Wins, Reflection of the Eye. So this band are, I think, relatively a super group at this point in time. Um, you have guitars uh, played by Carl August uh, Tidman, who played uh, lead guitar on the first Arcturus album. Um, keyboards by Andy Winter. Andy Winter, you may remember, mentioned a fair amount in our um, Agalock episode, being in uh, Sculptured, Snare of Sixes, and Self Splitter, many other like Jason Walton-related projects. Um, drummer Hellhammer. Uh, this is very much from... if like. Any of you are fairly aware of Hellhammer's work. He he sort of has a wilderness years around the early 2000s where he gets involved in some projects that land him quite a distance away from um, 
from black metal uh, and uh, line up rounded out by vocalists and bass players Lars Ekind I'm probably making a hash of so many of these Norwegian names that hold it against me it is hard to do um, yet another avant-garde music release this one um, and despite that lineup what we actually get in this album is incredibly melodic this album is very very kind of gentle like uh, for, for want of a better word it's definitely in that vein of very neoclassical influence prog but again sort of sticking to slightly shorter song structures it's just lots of very beautiful melodies i believe primarily composed by keyboardist uh andy winter but like he is backed up in these like beautiful melodic sections by a uh violinist and cello player and a viola player as well um yeah a viola player as well and so there's a layer of strings over the keyboard arrangements um and then actually like the drums and guitars despite again it being hellhammer are not that metallic throughout they're quite subdued the like the other thing that really shines is the beautiful clean vocals Lars adds to this. He has a a really nice singing voice, and I there's a guest credited on this album. I've only got digital copies. So I don't know exactly where he comes in, but Lars's voice is either incredibly varied or this guest does a lot because he goes through a lot of different sounds. Although primarily sitting in that like beautiful clean like almost power metal-y vocals although the music is never as much as it's um not black metal it's also very much not power metal this is distinctly kind of mellow prog but you know it, it's in that vein of prog you can show your mum the 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 Farian school of uh or later Farian at any rate school of it um but again less bombastic than that this is very much focuses on uh on just being really beautiful and melodic throughout um guitarist carl does some really fun stuff um his leads on this are very very melodic he um he has a fantastic lead guitar tone actually so it, it does very much like jump to center stage every time he has a uh, has a solo and his solos like some of them work really well others do have this bit of um like a back and forth of like bar of beautiful melody bar of really face melting shred back to beautiful melody to to face melting shred there does feel like quite a few of these are sort of going like did you need to put that many notes in right there but that's that's probably too harsh a criticism like his guitar work does sound really really beautiful and kind of um kind of fits in quite well and actually there are moments where that sort of shreddier guitar really works well the middle of the track passion quest the the drums get a bit more intense and then like there is this really over the top bit of continued like like kind of riffing but it's like really hyper fast picking whereas like previously guitars are taking a bit more of a back seat to the the amazing melodies of the uh keyboards and the string section and i really like that about winds the use of uh that uh like kind of massive sort of orchestral sound although it's only 
free guitars, like Andy Winter's keyboards are always very expansive and complex. Um, so he does sort of create that feel of having like orchestral backing to the, the core of the bass, drums and guitar. Beyond that, I don't think there's a huge amount to say about this. This band are apparently still active. They've done two albums after this. Also, if you, I think if you pick up this album now, you get their debut EP as well, which to my ears, like, well, I think I was first listening to it, I didn't even notice that, like, the album had ended and the EP had started. It's very much in a similar vein, if ever so slightly rough around the edges. I'm not sure, I haven't heard anything beyond this one. This was one of the newer finds for this episode. But uh, they're they're definitely they're definitely worth worth giving a go. They certainly have a a vein of uniqueness. Also, I should mention the title of this album is Reflections of the Eye. Uh, I being I capital, like just the letter I, because uh, yeah, trying to search for a band just called Winds might be a touch difficult. But yeah, certainly not what you would expect from Hellhammer. And there's some really interesting stuff going on on this album. Next up, we have Madame Mortem with their third album, Deadlands. So fittingly, Madame Mortem were formed in 1997, and this, their third album, also came out in 2002. So this band started out life as quite a kind of, like, stripped-back atmospheric doom band with 
very prominent, uh, clean female vocals from Agnet. Uh, um, not even got a chance of that surname. Um, but yeah, they they sort of evolved into a more progressive beast over the next two albums. So this other third, Deadlands, is far more in the progressive camp than I would put it in the Doom camp. Although for their entire career, the core of Madame Morsum's sound is really beautiful, clean vocals over slow, heavy guitar and bass and drum work. Um, they're a band I found uh, a couple of years back. Or was it last year? Whenever their, their latest album, uh, Marrow, came out, which I thought was absolutely fantastic and was immediately kind of blown away by the vocal performance, and that's always been my, my, my hook into this. This album starts out very interestingly. You can sort of see the influence of stuff going on around them. So they've always been a band that would throw in elements of every single subgenre of metal, it feels, to their their various songs. They don't stick with like that kind of doom backing. They, they can throw all sorts of like death or black metal ideas even in, in places. And this album very interestingly starts off with the track Necropole Lips after the intro enter. And the core riff of this kinda sounds like an early corn riff. Like it's got that big, like, you know, the Roots, Bloody Roots influence, big bass groove to it. Uh, it, Yeah, it's it, in all bar the vocals, it's very much a new metal track. And you think this is early 2000s. Like, I think that could be where they were, where they were taking some influence. But then again, you know, I, I still think there's merit in that first Korn album, just because this has some trappings of new metal. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Uh, that being said... That is only true for about two minutes of the first track. The That kind of groove never reappears on the album. For the most part, this is more of that kind of like slow, heavy sound. But they do keep changing stuff up. Um, so like a track like Russ Cleansing has sort of like a beautiful, like really catchy hook of a chorus. But then you get moments late in the album like Silver Spine, which from a slow build gets to this really ugly heavy middle section which is just like a brilliant payoff for the earlier melodic stuff you get some very odd tracks like jigsaw which uh is kind of like musically quite all over the place uh um, then then like the title track has this amazing almost neurosis feel with these like low gravelly backing vocals which have a real like steve on till edge to them but even like the music has that sort of neurosis uh sort of post-metal feel to it where it's it takes a while to sort of build into anything big but just has this low like ominous uh undercurrent to it the uh the bass player and uh guitarist uh well one of the two guitarists sorry add some really interesting backing on this uh paul mozart bjork which sounds like a made-up name um like does these great kind of i believe he's the more of the scream guy and uh Okay, these must be joke names because I've just seen the other guy's initials of BPM. Uh, but that guy uh, adds in as well, like a series of like death metal vocals that like pop in occasionally to give like a, a really heavy moment, which is a thing Madame Autumn will continue in their sound. Like, um, they, I, my will be done off the latest album has this real like, like kind of 
heavy metal like screaming to it in places something i really like this album and this will come as no surprise for regular listens is the fact the bass is really loud on it the bass has an amazing tone to it and is often a really driving part of a lot of these songs it like with the guitars and drums it all sits really nicely together although something slightly niggles me about the drum sound but the Everything else is so kind of spot on. I can totally forgive that. And there's some really interesting bass work on this as well. Certain tracks, like the the, the aforementioned title track, use it to great effect. Where actually, there's a really good build in that one. Where that that kind of slow neurosis part gives way to what you think it's going to be your, your straight up like classic heavy metal heavy riff. But instead of that, you get this really technical bass driven section, which is yeah kind of unexpected but like once it's thrown in there fits absolutely perfectly a kind of another weird thing about this album is the um the album cover is totally bizarre it's like a kind of a sepia filtered picture of like what seems like a kind of sci-fi version of the kind of slaves building the pyramids type scenario um very odd but i i guess like thematically apt with for this band they do play around a lot with like um kind of fantasy themes as well as as well as more kind of personal stuff they're sort of i believe the two are quite tied together but they seem seem to have been a band who are always quite open to trying uh different stuff lyrically also this is clearly an album and, and a band that had got some attention over the years like this was put out on century media records which is i think easily the the biggest record label we've seen attached to any of the bands i've covered so far um not being familiar with the whole catalog i don't know how much deadlands is like a a standout of theirs although to go along with this i've been going through uh jeff wagner's book mean deviation because he has a whole section on the in that book um on the Norwegian prog scene and he seems to rate Deadlands very highly. Also, while I'm on the subject, I should mention I'm very much with this episode treading on the toes of Radical Research Podcast, which is Jeff Wagner's podcast. Um so yeah, if you like the stuff I'm covering, go there because you'll hear, you know, two people who are far more expert in the realms of odd progressive music than me discussing a lot of the bands I think I'm discussing today. Anyway, back to Madame Autumn. The reason I think this band fits in so well with a lot of the others I've I've mentioned, despite the maybe lack of common musical ground, is it's experimental in a similar way. It's the the idea of it being progressive by bringing in uh, riffs and so on from other subgenres of metal and not quite sticking to that that clear path for all the songs, which gives albums like this and many I've covered before. A kind of interesting hook throughout their runtime. Like I found uh, Deadlands like immensely engaging, start to finish, and I don't tend to listen to a great deal of that entirely clean vocal doom. <laughs>
absolute super group of the genre and yet another kind of one album wonder this is age of silence with 2004's uh, acceleration featuring a lot of members of uh wins actually uh hellhammer's back on drums we have andy winter on keyboards and a lot of compositional elements and vocalist of wins ekind is on this uh, playing bass and adding additional backing vocals but then we have Lazari of uh, Solifald fame on lead vocals and two additional guitarists, one of which actually played on the um, on the Wins demo. So this is a band that, you know, highly tied to Wins in terms of their sound, but then actually, like, their genre descriptors on Metal Archive are exactly the same, like prog metal with neoclassical elements, because this is still Andy Winters putting in a massive, like, near classical soundtrack over the top of these metal songs this one complete we have a lot of like synthesized uh violin and cello kind of stuff but the the difference between this and winds is this is far more kind of aggressive and heavy there's a fair amount of like backing screams placed in there and the whole thing has a kind of more kind of complex and harsh edge to it there's there's none of the kind of absolutely shredding lead guitar like the andy winters well and truly takes the lead in terms of um yeah in terms of his keyboard work that's the the core of the like, the melodic sound to this um the vocals are very reminiscent of later solifald so i have a bit of a gap in my knowledge with that band if i don't know the few albums around this period i know like the very late stuff and their very early stuff so i don't know how much uh lazari has started doing that and how much like he was still like this is where he's kind of finding his feet with it but yeah this is definitely one of those albums you can see totally falling through the cracks because as much as this is kind of a super group of these people i can't see this kind of sound landing with anyone in 2004 this kind of like short intense prog songs with like a neoclassical element that are way too heavy for your standard prog metal crowd but also like far too eclectic and weird and melodic for you know whoever's still hanging on to the black metal scene at that point and certainly this is going to have no leaning towards the emergent sort of metal core of the time so i can see why some of this scene is sort of i think to some extent got lost in the mists of time i don't Although, I don't know how much of that is my ignorance. So you have to let me know, listeners, if um, if you were familiar with a few of these bands, like particularly stuff like Age of Science or Winds, where their sort of core was in those sort of metal wilderness years of like, about 2000 to 2005, I always think of as this kind of like dead zone. And this, this, scene, this scene seems to kind of run, run along with that. Um, whereas like... As we go forward, like a lot of the Norwegian prog bands that start emerging in the later 2000s actually go on to a great deal of success. Back to this album, it's got a few very odd elements. Like the album cover seems to be shooting for like an interesting, like philosophical kind of political idea with this series of copy-paste suited figures with their their mouths covered by like a, a third out-of-sight hand. Um and much like Solifald, the uh, lyrics are rooted in philosophy, although I found it not quite as in-your-face as with that band. 
the the overall tone of this album is pretty cool like it is the mix is very dominated by the keyboards and symphonic elements and the drums and vocals the the guitars and bass are a bit lower down in the mix but they do come to the fore and have their moments of cool riffing again if i think realistically if bands like solifal and Bognagari or thing give this a go but it will be that clean vocal approach which i think you'll either enjoy or put you off. I guess for some listeners, maybe that heavy use of keyboards will be a problem. It seems to be a kind of running theme, actually, for a lot of this, like really prominent keyboards for a lot of these bands. who so far have just done the one album this is frantic bleep with 2005's the sense apparatus uh this one is probably the entire reason i've done this episode and actually beyond that the main reason for the episode is just so i could play a clip from sin of a mission which is a song i just became utterly obsessed with towards the start of this year this band have a really interesting sound of um it's essentially like quite uh quite like angular and simplistic uh metal riffing with like really beautiful clean vocals adding like nice hooks over the top of it but like with that kind of riffing they create um 
some very dramatic and unsettling melodies like a lot of like the angular nature of the kind of stop start of certain places creates quite a kind of um apprehension kind of like unsettling atmosphere i this band like definitely grabbed me as having a very different sound they, like in little ways they remind me of stuff like leprous and haken if you remove like all the kind of like cheesy keyboard and over the top prog elements and just strip that down to the, the moments where they are doing that great interplay of like heavy detuned riffing with interesting like vocal melodies laid over the top of it um the connection this band have to what we've already been covering is it features a few uh members who were briefly in uh madame mortem for example paul mozart bjork's there and there's even guest vocals from madame mortem's singer and guitarist uh in the backing of this album so say the core of this sound though is like this quite like odd like set of riffs like they're a band who clearly have the ability to play incredibly technically but so many of their riffs are incredibly simple and just to the point like three or four chords like with a slight like lead melody over it that just makes this perfect sound like i found the album in its short runtime is really engaging and catchy but like keeps throwing interesting rhythmic ideas you and then you get some like nice curveballs towards the the second half of the album um track seven man daughter has these really kind of um ishan inspired like screams over the start of it for like a far more heavy kind of uh yeah far more kind of black or death metal influence track but then the the next track has pretty one of the most like noticeable like catchy choruses a lot the track three i mentioned before sin of a mission is a song i just became absolutely obsessed with because it has a moment early on where it has like a riff that is just so simplistically perfect i was listening to it in the car my girlfriend had never heard it before and at that point she just like she just had to turn the stereo up when that that riff came in because it was just like sorry what the hell is that and then it sort of makes a reappearance later but just uh, under like an even more catchy like eerie vocal melody but that like that that eerie vocal melody is over like a very mellow moment of the song and then the song outros with this kind of like suddenly going really fast like double kick drums for like two bars and then back to really eerie quiet then really fast and then there's a lot of that on the album of like the drums will hit into like a really aggressive kind of like death metal type groove and then go back to something mellow and you you never know when you're going to get the intense and when you're going to get something far kind of more melodic the the vocal performance of main vocalist uh Kishel Fossiad is really impressive as he has this kind of slightly haunting far away nature to all his his vocals that yeah it's just like the most unsettling I've ever heard a, fr a prog album be and they're a band I think um, who probably more so than any on this list like kind of have always gone under the radar and I think that's largely because they've never clearly advertised what they are like the where <laughs> Frantic Bleep is definitely a fantastic band name but to my mind, when I heard that initially, I thought I was in for some, like, 
absolute mind-bending, like, hyper-tech prog. And actually what I got was far more kind of subtle and calm. Um, and, yeah, the, the whole, like, the present, the album cover's very very plain and not clearly giving anything it's like all in grayscale it's just this kind of uh like kind of medical diagram of a human body um i mean medical diagram it's just like a white outline of like a kind of a human type figure and with a few lines over it it's it's all very subdued and kind of to the point like the band's logo the band's logo feels like something out of that era of the early 2000s just a very simplistic font that looks like that looks like something that might be used by a tech company of that era apparently the band are um the band are still active but and have been working on new material but like this as i say is amk in 2005 so we've been waiting 15 years for a follow-up and I don't know, with that much time behind it, can it ever, ever quite live up to it? Although, personally, yeah, I would still love to hear more from this. I really like this kind of take on prog. I like that idea of simplifying things down a bit to create more of an atmosphere, but using, like, the kind of the chops of prog musicians to play the odd moment that really gets hyper-technical between the atmospheric sections. Like, yeah, this... This album is just really great for like nailing that, and and also just being really catchy, kind of vaguely extreme metal throughout, without having to say rely on any real like lead guitar heroics or or even actually having a particularly amazing production job. The album's like very rough around the edges, but they they've captured everything well enough that these these massive riffs just cut through at all times.
and I've talked a lot about like their kind of middle period work but this is again going to be an interesting link between sort of the future of Norwegian metal music and this sort of period of prog so this is the the first sort of proper release from uh, the band Leprous like a group of very young mu prog musicians who were incredibly gifted and would go on to become pretty massive as kind of part of the gent scene or like a gent adjacent band for me they're a band who peaked on their uh, third album cole but this there as i say their their demo aeolia or aeolia uh i'm not quite sure how to say that uh is kind of like an amazing article of like they really came out the gate sort of knowing what they were doing so everyone on this album would be part of the lineup that would make it to bilateral so we have like Tor Borgen playing drums, who, you know, now famously has been in Shining, is currently Ishan's drummer. We have the the core of the like current Leprous lineup of guitar and vocals of Tor and vocal and keyboardist Aina. And they're all, I think at the point of this album, they're all between about 18 and 20. And what we get on here is just the like a lot of really heavily vocal driven complex prog metal you know it's got those leanings towards as i say bands like haken um and what this album like really does well on is the um combining of different vocal melodies like whereas like in later leprous i know would very much become the lead vocalist on this uh tour adds a huge amount of his own clean vocals and he's a very gifted vocalist himself it's just if you're familiar with with later leprous Aina is an undoubtedly brilliant singer i'd say this album has far more of a kind of cheesy nature to it than uh any of um any of their later albums would particularly tracks like black stains which is immensely catchy but um really kind of silly and goofy at the same time it, this, you can kind of see, though, some of the rooting in that black metal sound. I think this was a band that, as much as they would happily engage with the proggy and the the kind of silly in places, they also had a fair amount of that black metal to their sound. Like, fans of their newer work might not be that familiar with the, the degree to which there's a lot of scream vocals in... Um, early Leprous, so a track like uh, Alias Shadow starts with far more kind of heavy, aggressive stuff before giving way to the the big, uh, clean vocal chorus. There's amazing bits of uh, lead guitar work thrown into this. The two guitarists on this album are already showing they're like incredibly gifted musicians, and um, bass player Halvor Strand is doing some immense stuff on this. He's someone who I've always rated as an incredible bass player, but barring the early Leprous catalogue, I think he I think he might have lasted in the band till Cole came out. He's never been recorded on anything else and seems to be done with music, which is a real shame because he was a real bass playing talent. Like I saw him playing playing bass live for Ishon and yeah, he really stood up to those bass lines like previously performed by the Spiral Architect guy, who's bloody ridiculous bass player. But anyway, I was kind of getting off topic. There's, there's flaws to this. Like, it's an hour-long demo with uh, a lot of fat that could be trimmed. Like, the opener, Disclosure, is an amazing six-minute-long song that then has a four-minute-long, like, keyboard outro, which is, like, a fairly all-right piece of music. But it's much like the issue I have with some of Malady's work, where 
it's such amazing music that then just dropping in a long keyboard piece seems a bit like underpowered versus some of the stuff we've heard already um a few of the choruses fall a little flat the track five the great beast doesn't quite hit it like tracks like disclosure or black stains do in terms of just dropping a really excellent chorus and the the whole sound of the album is a, a little bit ropey and raw but again it's an hour-long demo, which um, it's an interesting thing. I think a lot of prog bands seem to put out these amazing demos, like Haken, or I keep bringing up, uh, have like an hour-long first demo that I think is absolutely incredible, and then is like not really that referenced again later. Clearly, they put a lot of effort into like creating their sound, and they will happily throw away that much music just to make sure they know what they're doing when they come to record the album, which obviously in Leprous cases has paid off massively for them afterwards. But yeah, I don't know. I saw them for the first time just as a coal came out. And already at that point, they were only playing, I think, like two tracks off their first album. And this demo had long been forgotten. So I don't know how much you'd ever likely hear something from this again. But I, if you like that band, this is a really interesting artifact. And again, it's kind of a, an interesting one just to look back at this point in time in the Norwegian prog scene. It kind of, I think it does sort of neatly bridge the gap between those bands we were discussing earlier, like earlier Solisvald or Age of Silence and that, and then what would come later from Norway. <laughs> Yeah, 
So as we move into the later 2000s, uh, we come up to Mains with uh, their third album, How the World Came to an End from 2007, put out on Candlelight Record. So Mains are an interesting one. Their early career has kind of a similar trajectory to Uber, but never kind of taking off in quite the same way as that band. Uh, in the very early 90s, they put out free black metal demos with kind of Norwegian titles and all the kind of trappings of a traditional Norwegian black metal band, but for whatever reason, it took them till 1999 to get their first album out. Now, the first album, I believe to be more kind of standard black metal fare, but then that's where the Oliver thing comes in. They suddenly bring in the electronic elements and completely shift out of that genre into something completely unrecognisable. And with their third album, How the World Came to an End, we are now into the realms of very, very progressive and into realms where I'm going to struggle with vocabulary for it because it is mainly rooted in more of like electronic sounds. Although really interestingly, um, I looked up the band and the lineup at this point is still vocalist, two guitarists, bass and drums, but just with like a heap of guest vocalists. But the sound of the album sounds like there's barely any guitars on it it's all kind of like like kind of synthesized stuff for the most part well there, there are guitars there but they're they're hardly front and center which i mean speaks a lot to like maybe the lack of ego of certain members of this band but um the album starts off with this like sort of short clip of like almost like a Game Boy type soundtrack, but then that gives way to this like massive bass and drum kind of groove with like these operatic vocals over the top. But then the that's like interspersed with these sections of like electronic noise and like electronic rhythms and then it goes back to the more um the more bass and drum kind of orientated groove and the, like the bass is clearly very detuned and has this like really heavy like kind of thunderous rhythm to it it's like you know it's it's a it's a kind of an easy way in for a metalhead into this music because it's an opening of like okay cool there's a heavy riff there but then things kind of get more abstract as the album goes on track two come to pass has one of the more noticeable moments of guitar but the guitar is used over an electronic track is like it's doing that black metal like super fast tremolo picking but then nothing around it is black metal like every like it's far more in another vein what's really interesting with this album actually you uh, mentioned the guest vocals like there doesn't seem to be any one core vocalist there's all sorts of stuff going on and it's not any different vocalists it's vocalists from like wildly varied styles as i mentioned there was like female operatic vocals at the start of the album but this track then has like what to me sounds like french rap music over the top of it um and it like to throw more spanners in the words like the language of a lot of stuff seems to change with the vocalist. Like, as I say, there, there is some rapping in French over this, but then you'll get like a an English spoken word bit later in the album. And there's so many different voices, it's really disorientating. By track four, A Cancer in Our Mist, we're almost at the point of like a kind of more Nine Inch Nails kind of influence track. Um, and up to this point, I'd say like, the album has a like a real momentum. There's a lot of different ideas being thrown at you, and while no individual one might not might be the most like unique thing you've ever heard, as say cancer um, definitely harkens to a kind of nine inch nail sound. 
the the kind of melding of all together like this is really interesting um and it certainly grabbed me and and actually remains kind of catchy despite kind of all the weirdness and and, and this not being something that's particularly in my wheelhouse usually the main criticism i have of this album is that it does start to drag a little towards the uh towards the second half like track seven through nine i just found did absolutely nothing for me whereas like there had been a lot of like bombast and catchiness to the the first half of the album the latter half sort of slows down a bit and just doesn't quite have what um what the earlier tracks have although as we get to track nine uh transmigrant things suddenly get super creepy so maybe the slowdown was just to repair you from the end getting like just disturbing so you have this like track nine is this quite creepy kind of longer kind of drawn out track and then track 10 is this kind of really horrible um thing where it's it's like a very atmospheric song but the whole thing is new, like this narration of this this character talking about how they want to kill themselves for four minutes it's a it's a deeply disturbing song like uh it's not something i'd revisit regularly i don't think but it it's certainly correct created an effective atmosphere i'd say if being possibly like a touch sensationalist um it it was still impressive like i i it did I, I did find it greatly disturbing on first listen so i guess job done i have a feeling mains were going for something very disturbing with this album and in places they really nailed it in other places it just made something that was really kind of like catchy and kind of fun um they're an interesting one as well like as i made comparisons i think they're a band that for their entire career kind of sat in all the shadow because they never had quite the the level of output of that band and their their sort of changes in direction were quite um quite abrupt like album to album they seem to do something quite different each time whereas all the kind of other than that one massive switch you can kind of see a lot of what they did as the next logical step and Possibly a lot of that is being able to produce enough music that you see every every evolutionary leap, every change in thinking. But um, Mains is certainly one I want to give more time to because I was, again, researching for this episode, I was pretty much new to them and I, I really enjoyed the bits and pieces I heard and and how the world comes to an end does feel like a, a really a really good start point for this band. As I say, they're, they are sadly now defunct, but they, you've got a good five albums and scattered EPs to choose from still with their sound.
Alright, that brings us on to the final band I want to talk about today. This is Vulture Industries with their debut album, The Dystopia Journals from 2007. This is where I'm going to leave this dive into the Norwegian progressive metal scene. Like, I know I've left things, like, fairly open. I've covered a few bands with some very prominent ones I've left out. Um, yeah, this is just one that, that sort of appeared to me. Actually, like, I came across this band this morning and decided I really wanted to include them because... Just my first two listens through the album really grabbed my attention. So, the Dystopia Journals is is by far from like the most original, unique in here. But what I think this band do so well is just nailing a sound that takes elements of a lot of the stuff we've discussed. Like something that jumps out immediately is the vocal performance is incredibly influenced by that kind of. Um, Arcturus, uh, La Masquerade, Infernal kind of sound, like Garm. On that particular album, this guy sounds very reminiscent of it. And then the album is just eight relatively short tracks that combine elements like that vocal performance over quite heavy extreme metal riffing, borrowing a bit from black, a bit from death metal, with like really fast double kick work, heavy detune guitars, kind of fairly constant... Um, black metal screams thrown in with the cleans. And I believe uh, Borgnar Nielsen, the vocalist, does both. He's also also a guitar player on one of the tracks. But yeah, like, um, he he throws in, like, quite a lot of these black metal screams. So the album remains kind of, like, heavy and quite intense throughout. I'd say it never, it never has those moments of real, like, Arcturus cheesiness. It's far more, far more kind of, like, dark. It's... But it's, like, really just well-crafted. There's, like, most of the songs have, like, a like a solo in the middle eight section of them. But the, the leads are always, like, quite melodic and simplistic and just really memorable. They never suffer for that thing like the Winds leads did by kind of over-shredding. These are just really focused and on point. There's a lot of keyboards layered over everything, but they're very subtle and they're they're kind of quite low in the mix. This is more of a guitar and drum heavy mix. Like and this is one of the ones I say out of this whole lot that feels most just like an extreme metal album at its core, but it takes on that kind of like avant-garde and progressive nature just for a few elements sprinkled in. I didn't say particularly the vocal delivery, um adds a lot to that the other thing that sort of really grabbed me in my uh couple of listens of it is like every so often these guys will just hit on like a really emotionally powerful moment like a certain melody somewhere in there just really would, would just get me i'd be like oh that was great that 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 just really worked and they do well with changes of paces as well like they as much as they have those heavy extreme moments they do have moments of mellow prog they drop in and out of quite smoothly uh i don't have a huge amount to say about this because as i say i found this this morning but i just i really liked what i heard immediately i've not heard any of their like four albums they've had since this so i think this would be a band i'll be spending a lot more time on um yeah the only real criticism i have of this because i've got a really nice mix to it the only problem and this is always forgivable of a new band is the Album cover is fucking dreadful. Uh, like it's just this really goofy picture of a guy like who appears to be like strangling his reflection in a mirror. 
And it, I don't know, I, I don't feel that works at all. But uh, otherwise, this, this seemed to be a band that have pretty much everything on point. The lyrics have that sort of uh, continuing theme we've seen with a lot of these bands of like vaguely philosophical, vaguely dealing with like personal struggles. Um, and that, that, that goes nicely with this sound. There is there's something about particularly like that vocal delivery, that kind of keyboard sound that I think works well with discussions of like uh, the human mind, etc. I don't know why that works, but just in my head, I, I can really make that connection. But yeah, I think this would definitely be one of those ones I'd highly recommend if you're just looking for something kind of really catchy and polished. Like Vulture and Disease are a band that seemingly, yeah, have started out just as very skilled and very competent at what they're doing, which is interesting because more so than most of the bands we talked about, they don't have any real history. Like a couple of them have like like relations to like one or so other band, but these these aren't a group of sort of like seen veterans or anything doing this. They are a relatively new band. Anyway, I think that's where I'll leave my uh, dive into Norwegian progressive metal. Um, as I was saying earlier, if you think there's some band I've I've missed out, please get in touch. You know, it's a, it's a ten year period from this country, so there will be far more than like the sort of 10 to 15 bands I've alluded to throughout this episode. Or or even if it actually you think there is an album by one of those bands that I totally overlooked, stuff like Wins, I, I certainly haven't dived into their full catalogue. There might be more there. Madame Mortem as well. I only really know three of their albums well. And Vulture Industries, I'll be digging further. So yeah, hit me up if there's, um, if there's anything I am clearly missing. Uh, so if you want to get in touch, uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook, uh, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, or we, our email is at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. Yeah, feel free to get in touch. And, and also uh, feel free to re- request episodes. I've, I've done a few recently that have been at listener requests. So if there's any anything you feel you'd really like me to cover, get in touch and let me know. Uh, but yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Ready to sleep, we are staring, 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 we are